This is episode number 240, Overcoming Personal Limits with Izzy Fisher. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. When things started clicking for me in my triathlon career was when I started to love myself. I mean, truly, which is sounds so cliche and simple, but like when I started to demonstrate self-worth outside of what I looked like and, you know, knew that I was capable of these hard things, knew that I could go do whatever I put my mind out to, I was unstoppable. If you're new around here, welcome to the show and welcome back if you are a regular listener. I've been thinking a lot about what high performance means, and I encourage you to ask yourself what that means. Write down what does high performance mean to me and give yourself five to 10 minutes to define that for yourself, because I think that it is going to be a different answer for everybody. I've really been enjoying hearing from those of a former professional triathlete and entrepreneur, and she knows all about personal limits and breaking past them. From bumping up against limiting beliefs as a young swimmer to overcoming an eating disorder, Izzy has figured out how to thrive. So who is Izzy Fisher? She's the co-founder and formulator of Plant Bites, a plant-based, no-sugar-added workout fuel, a perfect energy replacement if you don't like gels or gummies. She is the head of enterprise development for Complement, a business that delivers high-quality products to complement lifestyles who eat a plant-based diet. Izzy is originally from Boulder, Colorado, and I personally love that because I lived there for eight years. And she has a love for the outdoors, cycling, and hiking. And right now, she's been surfing quite a bit in Hawaii, where she's currently living. She was a swimmer at a young age and discovered that the biggest limits she faced were the ones she placed on herself. She found that whenever it came down to a swim meet, she wouldn't be able to perform, but in practice, she could outperform most of her peers. Eventually, she moved on to triathlon and has actually raced in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Nice in 2019. Her plant-based roots actually stemmed from a vegan diet geared towards losing weight as fast as possible. And she talks about the difference between plant-based and vegan as well. But her first experience with eating a vegan diet was not a healthy one. And the way that she was eating was just to lose weight. And there is a difference between eating vegan and eating plant-based. As an athlete who grew up with poor self-esteem, she fell victim to the pressures of diet culture fad dieting, and weight loss for performance by peers, coaches, and societal pressures, and struggled with a severe eating disorder. She discovered that plant-based diets are rooted in science and longevity, and once she understood how to eat for health, everything clicked for her. After recovery, Izzy became passionate about eating for health rather than eating for weight loss, and is now changing the way that nutrition and athletics is conceptualized. Her story about accepting your body and accepting yourself is one that will resonate with many. And now she's training for the Leadville 100. Izzy and I chatted about our love for plant-based diets, how it's so much of a different world than fad diet culture, eating disorders and athletics, which are really prominent, a lot more common than you would think. And there are a lot more stories coming out about that and how to be your own self-advocate and fall back in love with yourself. And that's hard to do especially whenever you're so critical and you are punishing your body to be able to let go and embrace self-compassion and practice that. And you'll hear her say that it is something that she had to practice over and over and over. And eventually she got there. 
And before we get into it, I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Dynamic Cyclist. And Dynamic Cyclist has easy to follow mobility and stretching for cyclists. And I really like this program because a lot of times I know I should be doing these things and it's hard to get motivated to do it. Another thing is that if you have been an athlete and you've gone to physical therapy or massage or chiropractor, they've probably given you some exercises that you should be doing both as a preventative measure or to work on an existing injury. It's way more efficient to just take care of your body doing these mobility stretches and foam rolling routines than to get injured and then have to spend the time and money to go see a professional to put you back together. They're offering 15% off a subscription and a free trial. So go to dynamiccyclist.com and use the code LOONEY15 in all caps. And that's LOONEY15 in all caps. Super cool of them to give us that discount and you can just give it a try and see if it's a good fit for you. Remember, cycling is what keeps us in shape, but doing all this work off the bike is what keeps us riding. Okay, let's get into it with Izzy. Izzy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sonia. How are you? I'm doing well. It sounds like we both had some exciting weekends and I'm really jealous of your surfing in Hawaii, even though I'm really bad at surfing. <laughs> I'm not that great either. I'm like, because I don't do it all the time, I'm, I'm learning and it's slow going, but I stand up every time and I'm starting to like learn the turns and understand the ways. It's a whole different world. It's so scientific. Like the technique is crazy, but yeah, I'm just starting to learn like the way that you have to turn based on where the waves crash and like watching the current and the riptide and all these different factors. It's crazy. I'm definitely more used to like the just move forward for a long period of time. So it's definitely different, but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun to do something new when you can see improvements and also where you sort of have this beginner's mind again. Totally. Yeah. I love learning new things. It's been great. And it's slow. Learning how to surf is very slow, especially getting good at it. I feel like if I surf for the next 10 years, I'd still be just marginally good. But it's really inspiring to see because when you're in the water, I mean, there's so many different technique levels out there. So it's so cool to watch the people that grew up surfing on the island and like, like Bethany, the girl who lost her arm when she was 14. She she lives here and you can watch her surf all day. It's it's awesome. It's a cool wow. community. So I'm having a blast. Yeah. And which island are you on? I'm on Kauai. Yeah, that must so be such a nice change. A smaller from like, island. Must <laughs> be like a nice uh, transition from like being in Boston and Boulder in the winters. <laughs> yeah. I like being in Boulder usually for the winters because Boulder is super sunny year round. Like I can get out on my bike on the weekends once a week, at least in Boulder, but it's definitely not a beach, like wearing shorts and t-shirts and surfing. <laughs> so Boston is miserable at this time of year. I'm sure Canada isn't the best at this time of year. <laughs> Yeah, it was a shock moving from Boulder to BC in the winter and also where I'm currently living and there's just no outdoor riding. So I had to switch to riding like for four or five months a year on the trainer. But anyways, um, you're no stranger oh. to the water. You're you're taking up surfing now, but you have quite a history in the water and in swimming. I'd love to hear about yeah. your early life as a swimmer and some of the things that conspired from there that have made you who you are today. Sure. That is definitely a long-ended question, but I'll kind of give you the synopsis and we can go from there. I started swimming at a young age, actually. The first time I was put on a swim team was when I was six or seven. 
And I actually hated it at first. I, I really hated swim team. I thought it was the worst. I learned how to swim. My dad was really pushing swim team on me and really wanted me to be a lap swimmer and a competitive swimmer. And I just hated it so much. Like, I don't know what it was, but I hated the water. I wasn't comfortable in it. And so I totally got turned off from it completely. And I didn't even touch the water for years after that. I actually didn't start swimming again till middle school. So I was, I think I was like 14 or 15 is when I got back in the water for swimming. And swimming was kind of the sport for me that spurred a lot of kind of my transformative athletic ventures. And I never was super competitive swimmer. I never was the top of the top. I never was the best. I would say I was good. I was competitive. You know, I was swimming with the best girls on the team, but I never kind of went to that next level of competition. I didn't have it in me yet, but a lot of it was just kind of the limits that I put on myself as a young athlete. And this is something that it was introduced into my life immediately in my athletic career. And then just kind of followed me throughout my triathlon career, my cycling career, and into, you know, my business life, my personal life. And um, essentially, when I was on the pool deck, when I was younger with all of these young girls, all that ran through my head over and over again was just comparison. Comparison, comparison, comparison. And if I didn't look like my friends, if I didn't swim the same times as them immediately, like I immediately chalked that up to just not being good enough and and not really being the athlete that I could be. And it was so odd because I remember in the first year swimming on my high school team, the assistant coach came up to me and she kind of came up to me and said, Izzy, like, you're such a good practice swimmer. Like you're swimming with the fastest girls on the team. Why am I not seeing these times in, in the water when you're racing? And I, I was just like, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a practice swimmer. Like that's just what I am. And I never thought that I could go to that next level in swimming, even though like I was already there, I just wasn't competing in that way. And so that's kind of set the tone for me from a young age. And I, I really just put a lot of limits on myself from the time I was 14, all the way through college. And, you know, I love spike, I love to hike, I love to do all these things. And I was good at them. I just never thought I could be competitive in them because I maybe didn't look the same, or I maybe I didn't have grow up in an athletic family, I, I didn't think it became natural to me. So I just kind of really suppressed myself and my athletic ability. And we can talk more in depth of what course of high school and college and my triathlon career, when I switched from swimming to triathlon, I developed a pretty severe eating disorder and just everything stopped in my life. Like my friends, my family, my, my training, like I focused so much on me losing weight. Like that was my life's purpose. I was obsessed with food, like always thinking about it. And over the course of two, three years, I started to get help. I started to recover from it. Part of my recovery was finding a plant-based diet and just falling in love with the way of eating for health of this like totally different messaging around food. And um, I fell back in love with my sport and not for the fact of wanting to lose 10 pounds or wanting to prove something to myself, but I just fell in love with what it was when I was that young girl, which was just loving being outside. It was love getting on my bike, loving being in the water. And that year, like in the same year, I qualified for world championships. I went and competed in Nice. And it's just crazy because looking back on it, I'm like, wow, if I would have applied that sort of drive and love for my sport with no limits that I put on myself, I probably would have been a much higher caliber athlete at a much younger age. 
And so it's just interesting. And I think that a lot of people kind of have this development that isn't brought up. And so that's, that's a very, very large synopsis there, but um, I can definitely go into detail on anything there. Yeah. And I like having a large synopsis because it gives people an idea like who you are, where you came from and the things that you sort of went through. And now I'm excited to kind of go deeper into some of these things in your life that that happened, who that have formed who you are. And the first one that I want to look at is the performance swimming and, you know, being able to perform in practice, but not being able to perform on race day. And I know people listening, you know, they probably experienced that in their lives. They probably think, well, I, I'm fine. Like in my training, my, like my intervals go well, or like I can ride something technical, but on race day, I just choke up. Um, yeah. and, and for you, you know, you mentioned comparison and looking around and saying like, I don't look like everybody around me or everybody around is better than me. Did that play a role into the limits you're putting on yourself on race day? Yeah. I mean, I think, a lot of racing is mental. I think that going through mental activities, meditation, um, you know, visioning, really envisioning what your race day is going to look like, giving yourself confidence that you can be somewhere, that you can get something done. Like, I really do think that racing is 80% a mental game. I mean, I always say it's better to be 90% underprepared than 5% overprepared. And that's all because of the mental state. I mean, if you're, if your body's tired, like that's a, that's an instant signal to you on race day where you're going to just feed yourself negative emotions. You're like, Oh my God, I'm tired. My legs hurt. My feet hurt. I can't go. I can't be faster. Like, Oh my God, I shouldn't have done this. But if you go into it being like, I am capable, I am fast. Like I am the best person. I'm, I am going to beat myself today. Like those things are so, so powerful. And if I would have just owned up to that in my races when I was a young swimmer, I would have been competing at such a higher level. And it's just, and it would be one thing if I was not a fast swimmer, you know, if I was just maybe didn't have the gene or maybe I just wasn't athletic in the water, but like I was swimming with the girls who were making really fast cuts and they were going on to the next level and swimming in college D1 levels. And like, I was swimming with them in practice, but I just wasn't racing with them at all. I was racing with the bottom 10% of the swimmers and I was competing in practice with the top 10% of the swimmers. And it's just like that big of a difference from race day to practice. It's, it's the mental game. Like if I should have just owned up to myself and I wish someone told me, you know, as a young athlete, a coach being like, you know, okay, don't let me just say I'm a practice swimmer. Like be like, no, Izzy, you're, you're making these times in practice. Like go show us what you got. So I don't know. It's definitely, I think the mental game is huge and I'm sure in your races, you feel the same way. Yeah. Like the mental performance side of sport is something that I also wish that I was exposed to. Cause I actually played tennis uh, growing up and I would always beat myself. And even as a mountain biker, you know, when I started my cycling career, the, the mental part was so hard. That's why I developed, I have a course called the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy. That's all about mental skills and mental performance because I know how much of a benefit it is. And so do you. And I just don't want people to like, think it's just about training your body. And I think that it's still new. Like the idea of training your mind is new, but if people, you know, spend a little bit more time learning about it or practicing it, you'll have more realized potential in your life. Like you, you feel like you might've left something on the table, you know, when you're younger and a swimmer, because you didn't have access to this. And I feel the same way in a lot of the things that I was doing. But you mentioned yeah. that you ended up going to world championships in Nice in triathlon. So 
what point were you able to get out of your own way there and start applying some of these skills or, or, or did you in order to get there? I mean, I'm not perfect for sure. I mean, like last week in my career, mostly, I mean, I was talking to my partner and he was saying how I could do something that I was convinced I couldn't do. And he, and I was literally arguing with him. I was saying like, no, that is a horrible idea. I can't do this. Like, I can't do this in my career. That's a horrible idea. And he was like, listen to yourself. You're literally like arguing against yourself for no reason. So I'm not perfect, but I would say when it comes to my athletic pursuits, when things started clicking for me in my triathlon career was when I started to love myself. I mean, truly, which is sounds so cliche and simple, but like when I started to demonstrate self-worth outside of what I looked like and, you know, knew that I was capable of these hard things, knew that I could go do whatever I put my mind out to, I was unstoppable. Like I could finally do all of the training that I've always said I wanted to be in. I stopped being that person who's like, Oh, one day I want to compete this. Oh, one day I want to do this. Oh, wouldn't that be great if I could do this? And I was just like, okay, why can't I just be that person right now in this moment? And that's truly when it started changing because I was just like every day, my workouts, it was an everyday scenario where like I would go out for my runs and I wasn't like, Oh, I, I can't do this. My times are low. Like I'm my heart rate's high. Like it was just whatever. I was like, you know what? Give yourself a break and just train and see what happens. And it paid off. So you mentioned self-love and also self-compassion, you know, giving yourself a break and saying it's okay. And you said it's simple, but it is simple, but it's not easy. And there's a big difference between simple and easy. How did you (laughs) actually start practicing that? Because it sounds like you were quite critical of yourself, you know, in the past. And you mentioned it's simple, but not easy. So how did that practice actually start working for you? Because it's it's easy to say, I'm just going to start doing this, but it's hard to actually you know, believe it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think I'm almost lucky that I suffered through an eating disorder. And I say that I think people, other people that may have suffered through a similar thing as me, maybe don't look at it the same way. But for me, I know that if I didn't have, you know, a real problem with food that was sacrificing my health, I probably would have never come to these realizations about myself. I would have never had to work every day to love myself just to get through the day, literally, like just to be able to feed myself and like go to bed and wake up and be healthy. I had to start loving myself. And that process was, I mean, it was the hardest thing I ever had to go through a hundred percent because I had to let go and self-control around food and, and eating was always a way in which I felt like I was on track or, you know, like, going to be the better athlete because I could hit my race weight or, you know, all these, these coping mechanisms that I worked into my daily life just were ways for me to be critical of myself. And that weighed on me. And I think that it's not necessarily just about, you know, being critical of yourself on a day to day. But if you look at your lifespan, like so many of us are just so critical on ourselves from the day that we are able to compare ourselves to people. And, you know, you look at your childhood self when you're seven years old, you're eight years old, you're nine years old. And like, you're not comparing yourself to anyone. You don't care. Like you're wearing whatever you want. You're running around half naked, like doing whatever you want. And like, you think that you're on top of the world. And and then as soon as we have that item to compare or that person to compare, it's immediate cycles of self-hatred. And that just, it weighed on me and it contributed to me. And like, Starting in my swimming career, when I started to put limits on myself, 
based on the other girls in practice and how they looked like I kind of, I started doing that. And then over the course of high school and college, it just got worse and worse. When I was in college, I loved hiking and I always, I always wanted to do ultra running. Like I always wanted to try it, but I literally hid from my friends that I liked to do those things. Cause I thought it wasn't cool. Or I thought that like being outdoorsy was was not not the cool thing to do because I went to school on the East Coast or because I didn't look like the other people that maybe did that. I, I always thought I was 15 pounds too heavy or whatever it was. Like there was just these elements of hiding who I truly was in order to fit into a team, into a friend group, into a college, whatever it was, like just wait on me and wait on me and wait on me until I decided that like I'm gonna get on track and like I'm gonna lose 40 pounds in six weeks and like this is going to be my thing and it's going to change my life forever. And I can promise you that it didn't like, it didn't change my life. It made my life worse. And, um, but I'm really, I'm really grateful for it because having something that's so telling and like such a red flag to be like, you've got to cut it out. It totally changed my life and my view on myself. And like, you know, I mean, there are definitely days where I don't love myself and like, but it's all about just tolerating and like giving yourself a break and being like, okay, that's okay. Let's move on to the next thing. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of perspective that you're able to gain from going through something so difficult. And like you said, not everybody might feel that way, but you are able to take a really difficult situation and say, I'm going to make the best out of this. And because this happened now, I'm better because of it. You mentioned trying to, you know, control. And I think as athletes, we try to control a lot of different things. As a quick side note, being pregnant was really hard for me because you can't control anything. You just have to let your body do the work. And that's super hard. But back to control and comparison. And like you thought, if I can lose weight, then maybe people will love me. And I can try to control and strangle this thing so that I can lose weight so people can love me. But you really had to love yourself. So during this like eating disorder period of your life, there's a lot of athletes that struggle with either disordered eatings or have a full-blown eating disorder. What advice do you have to those people who are kind of like in it right now? And and again, like eating disorders don't just go away. Like you, they can creep yeah. back up again. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard. I mean, someone who's struggling with it now or someone who has struggled with it in the past and still has to keep it in check. I mean, when I was in the thick of it, I didn't think I had a problem. I think that I think that's the biggest thing is like, I thought that, you know, being obsessed with food and having thoughts about what I was going to eat that day and looking at the mirror in the morning and saying to myself, like, you're going to have a good day with food today. And like that being my mission for the day and, you know, being obsessive over the scale and like, all of these things, I thought it was okay, because I had professionals in my life telling me that, I needed to do these things. You know, I had coaches that were very weight focused in their training saying that, you know, you need to gain weight during the first part of the season and lose it when you're getting closer to your race and like trying to find my ideal race weight. And they kind of treated it me as like a science experiment almost. And it didn't even occur to any of them with these like female teams that maybe this was really hard for us. And like, at the end of the day, I think what I realized was, you know, getting some resources and like reading books, following different people on Instagram, like looking and seeing, Oh, maybe obsessing over an ice cream cone on Saturday at 2 PM. Maybe that's not normal. And when it first occurred to me that I had a problem and I needed to get help was when 
I started, you know, changing the way that I looked at social media. It was changing, changing all the types of resources that I follow and like looking and seeing people saying these things. And like, I think it was Jennifer Rollins. She, she's really good to follow if you're struggling with disordered eating or eating disorders. She's an eating disorder therapist. And I, I followed some of her posts and one of them said like, it was basically a list of all of the things that exist like after recovery, you know, like whether it's enjoying exercise just for the sake of enjoying exercise or going out to dinner with your friends or like all of these things that I didn't do or controlled or like prepared for or after vacation, I would like recover by going on a really big crash diet for two weeks. Like all these things that were just coping mechanisms for me, not cooking with oil ever, like severe restriction of whatever food groups possible. I didn't realize there was, were problems. And then I saw that they were problems or I saw that not necessarily saw that those things are problems, but I saw that there were these list of things that could be normal that I didn't really think anyone you know, had. I didn't think that anyone could eat an ice cream or like have chocolate after dinner and not have and not and be able to stop or like, so I, you know, and I struggled with the binge eating, restricting cycle a lot. And like, I didn't understand like, oh, how does that person intuitively eat? Like, how does that person do these things? And like, those were all just my eating disorders, screaming, asking for help. And so I think it was more so realizing that normalcy looked different, that was the biggest factor for me. And the other thing is just the mantras, like the self mantras. I did a lot of, you know, journaling, saying over and over again that I love my body, that I love myself, like over and over and over again. And just like severe, severe work over really focusing on that and nothing else. Like I stopped training. I stopped, you know, doing pretty much anything that distracted from just self-care and self-love. And it was really, really hard, but like so, so worth it because at the end of it, it's like a breath of fresh air. (laughs) It's just every day I'm like, okay, like, wow, you know, and I can, I can go run 10 miles if I want to, or I can not because I'm tired and like, I can go get an ice cream cone or I cannot because I know that that's not going to make me feel good. So yeah. And where did a plant-based diet come into your life or did, and did it play a role in any of this? Yeah. So eating plant-based for me, actually, it, it did start from a disordered place. I'll be totally and completely honest. I don't think enough people talk about that. I think that in my exploration of finding any sort of diet that would help me maintain or lose weight, I, I did a lot of research on the plant-based diet. And I did it more from the phase of veganism and looking at, at the veganism standpoint. And my parents had just gone vegan and And I thought that that was kind of what I needed to do. And I did go vegan in part of my eating disorder and I did lose weight on it and it was drastic. And I also lost my hair and I also got a stress fracture. And I actually found the plant-based philosophy kind of from that dark place and educating myself about a plant-based diet, learning more about the nutrients. I found a whole different sort of messaging around it something that I never seen in traditional diet culture, whereas traditional diet culture is so focused on calories. It's so focused on macronutrients, focused on eat this, not that. And those things were really toxic triggers for me. But plant-based methodology was all of a sudden, you know, scientists, 
people who were really focused on longevity research, focused on building, not breaking. And all of these things were really helpful for me. And they were actually more so uplifting than they were toxic triggers. And finding this whole different methodology and messaging around food was so new to me. It was something that I'd never really been able to apply. And, you know, eating for health, eating for health span, longevity, like all of these things. I was like, wow, like this is a way that I can eat that makes me feel good and also allows me to make healthy choices that I can really think about how it makes my body feel. And once I started eating this way, I stopped putting restrictions on food in addition to other work, of course. Like I didn't just start eating a plant-based diet and my eating disorder went away. I think that I think that someone could very well, you know, use a plant-based diet as some sort of shield for, you know, their eating disorder. But I think that just the messaging around it is so, so different. And it's all about health. It's all about longevity. And like, I I fell in love with that and started to become really passionate about plant-based nutrition for those reasons, rather than for weight loss or restriction fitness reasons. Yeah. And thanks for, you know, telling people that you went vegan and you got worse, like things happened. And I think a lot of people think that it's this magic bandaid, but also people don't know the difference between vegan and plant-based because those words are often used interchangeably and, you know, labeling can even stop people from even getting started. Can you talk about the difference between vegan and plant-based and what your diet looked like kind of before and after? Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, a hundred percent what you just said, I think that that's the big difference is vegan is it's such a label and it just, it combines people to like only looking for vegan food. And for me, veganism just meant cutting out everything that wasn't vegan. So animal products, obviously. And I only searched for labels that said vegan. I also was eating the same amount of food as before. So I thought that going vegan just meant cutting food out. And that's kind of how those labels of the veganism culture triggered to me. So I would probably you know, eat a smoothie in the morning and I wouldn't add anything to it, just like fruit. And then I would have, you know, a sandwich and before my sandwich had maybe like turkey and cheese on it. But now all of a sudden it just had lettuce on it. And then for dinner, I would, you know, have like, instead of having my chicken and broccoli, I would just eat my broccoli. You know, I just knew vegan equaled cutting out animal products. But then when I kind of switched to the plant-based methodology and did more research in that nutrition, I realized that like, if you're going to eat plant-based, you have to totally rethink nutrition and you have to really focus on getting those nutrients, you know, making sure you're getting legumes, making sure you're getting your leafy greens, your starchy vegetables, your, your complex carbohydrates, like making sure you're eating nuts and seeds, using all of extra virgin olive oil, like all of these things that all of a sudden I was like, Oh wow. Like I need to be eating five or six times as much as I'm eating now, especially if I'm training. And so I totally changed the way I was eating, you know, eating these huge salads, making sure I had grains, making sure I had nuts and seeds, legumes, like snacking on nuts and seeds, um, eating, adding like maybe plant-based protein to my smoothie if I needed it for extra training, you know, having this volume. I started eating in volume. My hair started coming back. My foot started to heal. My cravings went away. Like that all of a sudden putting in the work to understand real nutrition and what my body needed and feeling and eating a lot of food, like a lot of food, not eating three meals a day with small, small plates, like a lot of food. And I'm actually, I am one of the biggest advocates for people. I mean, I do think that cutting out animal products leads to a healthier life, but not if you're going to eat 
three tiny, tiny, tiny meals a day and not pay attention to nutrition. I would say that the problems just replace with other problems. Maybe you're not going to be prone to heart disease, but you might be prone to malnutrition in other ways, like especially if you're older. So, you know, making sure you're supplementing all these things in the plant-based world that I was educated so quickly on versus the veganism world. I was just like, oh, cool. I can still eat Oreos, but I can't eat chicken. Was just so it was so different, and um, definitely, I definitely saw a difference in my overall health and and in my athletic capabilities. Yeah, thanks for so well articulating that because it's hard for people to understand sometimes what like what that means. And yeah, I also think that people get overwhelmed. They're like, well, everyone that I know that is success quote successful on a plant based diet is basically a nutritionist because they had to do all this research and know all this stuff about nutrition. I don't want to spend that time doing that research. So I just want to yeah. give a plug to eighty twenty plants because it's a amazing coaching app. And if you, the listener, is like, I don't want to like have to become an expert in nutrition, you just can go in there and you'll get like one-on-one coaching, all these recipes so that you can have peace of mind that you're getting everything you need and you don't have to become an expert in nutrition. And we'll put a link for that in the show notes. I I just think I'm just such a a big proponent of this because so many people don't want to go it alone. And even like, like I've started a, a community called Plant Powered Academy and I have a cookbook and that's still not enough. Like people need more support. So the more support we can give people by sharing our stories, sharing different types of, you know, meal delivery services or, you know, totally. coaching. It's just, it's so awesome to have that power to make those changes. Um, yeah. One thing that you, I, I heard you kind of talk about a little bit is like weight versus health. And like, we look at food, like previously I, I was the same way. It's like, well, I just don't want to be overweight or I just want to like, quote, look like a cyclist, which, you know, is a there's all kinds of issues with that type of thinking versus like just focusing on being healthy and how you view food is is just so important. So can you talk about how you view food for weight versus health? Yeah, I have a story to go along with this. And this was in the depths of my eating disorder recovery. I was talking on the phone with my eating disorder therapy coach who I worked with in my recovery. And we were getting kind of through a breakthrough point where I was realizing that like through my recovery, I was gaining some weight and I was having to accept that. And because I wasn't restricting my food anymore. And I was so upset about this. It was really, really hard to accept my body. And I was just so upset talking to her, telling her how I can't be a cyclist if I gain this weight. And I was crying and I was like, I can't hike. I can't do these things. Like I need to stop this now. And I was just like, so upset. And she was like, why? What is stopping you from doing those things? No matter what is, why does it matter what the number on the scale says? Why does it matter what your gene size is? Like, I don't understand. This is so much deeper than your weight, Izzy. And that's kind of when it clicked for me is when I started realizing that like, my weight actually wasn't going to stop me from doing these things because I love these things and they make me feel amazing. And that is kind of the turning point where I, it was so clear that I was just like, oh my God, I'm skinny or I'm a size zero. So that means I can be a cyclist. I'm a size zero. So that means I can be a ultra runner. And like, that was my perception of myself. Like I was so happy when I got to fit in my zero size jeans and like my extra small cycling shorts and you know, being a smaller medium wasn't enough for me. And I decided that I couldn't be an athlete if that was the case. And that was a huge turning point for me when I started to realize that like, there was nothing I could do. If I eat 
healthier than pretty much anyone I know, <laughs> like, and train extremely hard and treat my body with self love and care and fuel it a- appropriately. Like, and I wasn't going to be a size zero. Guess what? I'm probably never going to be a size zero. <laughs> and like, that was the realization that I had to accept and have. And just, and I think that's, it's so hard for people to understand. There's this total misconception about weight and that like, there's this ideal weight for people that like, there's this equation that if you're a cyclist, I, I had someone tell me once that for cyclists, they had to be, you know, it was like hundred pounds for five free and then like six pounds per every inch, literally. And I was like, okay, like writing this down, like getting ready to diet. And like, honestly, for me to maintain that weight, I had to eat one salad a day at 3.30 and that's it. And I was training for a 70.3 Ironman. Like I was running and cycling and swimming for two plus three hours a day. And like, that's what I was eating. And I I was okay with it because I, I thought that that was how it was supposed to be. And, you know, I try to tell, I have friends that haven't accepted this. I have family members that haven't accepted this. And it's just like, you will realize, I hope, I hope that people will realize one day that like, there's only so much you can do and living a healthy lifestyle where you're making healthy choices, 80 to 90% of the time you're moving your body. You don't have to be a professional athlete. You don't have to train four hours a day. Moving your body means different things for everyone, whether it's yoga, whether it's going on a walk every day, whether it's training for two hours a day, like whatever it is you want to do. Great. But if you're doing those things, chances are, you know, whatever you look like or weigh, that's probably where your body wants to be. And so that's just what I had to accept over time. And, you know, that that just opened up so much more space in my mind for other things and and opened up so much more possibility in the athletic world. And, you know, it it totally got rid of any limits I ever put on myself. And now I, I know I can do anything. I want when it comes to my endurance pursuits or my diet or my business. It's just like, it's totally a different perspective. And I wish, I wish that there weren't so many people out there that believe that everyone has to be a certain weight. It's just, it's very frustrating to me. Yeah. And like one person's ability to perform at a certain weight may not be the other person's ability, you know, like, And I like what you said. It's like, instead of focusing on a number or what somebody else looks like who's successful, focus on your healthy habits, focus on your daily actions, focus on nourishing and taking care of yourself and the weight, the number on the scale, that's going to settle where it settles. And you're going to be at a much better place to perform regardless of what that says. Right. And I also realized just about the healthy habits, just to go in a little bit more detail, like overeating all the time, that's not, that's not normal. And under eating all the time, that's also not normal. And so these things are also other things I realized because I always thought in my brain, I was like, how does that person have so much self-control when they eat? Or like, you know, how I can't have peanut butter pretzels in my house because I'll eat the whole thing. You know, like those, those things that I used to say to myself are actually forms of disordered eating because now it, I'm so good at just listening to my body and like whether I need to eat a huge meal or whether I and just kind of want a smaller meal, depending on how I am on a day-to-day basis. Like I don't really even remember the last time I overate. And sometimes it happens, obviously, like you're drinking or you're out or like you're with people, but it's just not that 80-20 rule is totally, that's what I live by. And it's like, it's not even a rule to me. It's just, I know what my body is going to thrive on. And I also know what I'm not going to feel good on. And so 
that is a huge difference when it comes to, you know, people controlling their weight, trying to lose weight, weight management, like so controlling. That is kind of where people fall into these challenges of like, oh my God, I can't get these pounds off or I can't stop gaining weight. It's like, okay, maybe you need to look a little deeper. And like, first of all, are you happy where you are? Second of all, like, what does your day-to-day habits look like? And and it should really be that simple. I hate to say that, but like, it's kind of is. <laughs> Again, simple, but not easy always. <laughs> yeah, not easy, not easy at all. <laughs> yeah, and it really sounds like being able to shift to a, a plant-based diet, being able to like be more intuitive with your eating, that's really worked well for you because you're in a way better like mental state. You mentioned you have more confidence in your athletic ability and in your business, which we're going to get to in a minute. And you're inspiring others and you're doing rad things. And it's just it's awesome to get to hear, you know, another person who is just really thriving and finding their their best life doing this. Totally. Yeah. Training for level 100. Yes. It's going to be insane. <laughs> we'll see. First mountain bike race ever. Although it's more of like a gravel race. I can't decide if I'm going to ride my gravel bike or my mountain bike, but I'd probably, (laughs) I would ride a mountain bike. Yeah. Okay. Are you allowed to ride a gravel bike at that race now? You can ride whatever. I mean, there are Leadville locals that literally are riding like beach cruisers on that race, like hard tails, whatever, whatever you want. (laughs) I'm probably going to ride a mountain bike. (laughs) So when you went to Worlds for a triathlon, were you eating plant-based then? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was actually, so another kind of layer to my story is my, the team that I was on leading up to that race in particular, or I guess the race that I qualified for, which was in Chattanooga. I went on a training trip with my coach and my team and we were cycling. And at that point I was really into the plant-based diet. And I was like, I was, you know, loving myself. I was in just coming out of this like horrible year of just this really challenging year. And I was getting back into cycling and I was getting back into running. I was fueling my body and like, I was really learning about plant-based diets. And I also always struggled from stomach issues with goose, uh, shot blocks, like any, any sort of like really not particular to whatever. It was just all of the nutrition products just didn't sit with me well. So I had a hard time using, using some of those things. And I started using just kind of figs, bananas, dates, all the plant-based ways of fueling. And I didn't get very good reception from that for my coach because my coach was always kind of like, you need to train your stomach or like change the way that you eat on a day-to-day basis so that you're prepared for whatever nutrition products are at the aid station. And I was just like, that seems so backwards. You know, I'm in this new, super into listening to my body and like what it needs. And I'm just like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to force feed myself. (laughs) <laughs> to eat these gummies that made me feel like crap, you know? So yeah. I, um, I, that's kind of when I started getting really passionate about fueling training with a plant-based diet, just because of the way it made me feel. I mean, I'm sure you, you feel a difference on the way it made you feel training, but I definitely felt a total difference, you know, using sweet potatoes, beans, rice the night before a big ride instead of like a chicken and pasta or something like that. It was just, it was a world of a difference. And so that race was, fueled by a plant-based diet hundred percent. Awesome. Yeah. And like, let's, let's get into your business because, you know, the way that you were feeling by using sort of quote synthetic products wasn't working for you. And most amazing businesses come from scratching your own itch and it's been pretty cool to learn about your business. So I'd love to hear how that came to be and how that's going. Yeah, totally scratching my own itch. Um, I, I, like I said, I was using figs. I remember my teammates would like 
call me the fig girl. They, they, <laughs> I would throw figs at people when they were like passing me on the bike as like a joke because that's, that was my staple. I just started throwing, I just started bringing like Ziploc bags of figs around and I kind of realized over time going on longer rides, you know, pr- training for longer races, bringing those whole foods wasn't, they were sticky, you know, like eating a banana. It was like, my hands got really disastrous and it was just difficult and the figs would stick to the plastic bag. I, I heard, and just I'm like, going to interrupt you. And I, I heard you say on another podcast, like you've actually like almost slipped on a banana peel on your bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like threw it on the ground once and like my bike went over it and it went oh, it like totally skidded. I almost slipped down, but that's what I was saying. And I probably shouldn't have thrown the banana peel on the, brown, the ground. I'm not sure if that's compostable or not, but I did throw it on the ground that one time. I try not to do that, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I just, I, it wasn't ideal. It was just kind of getting overwhelming to try to bring all this food, especially at the longer distances, you know, like things are heavy and so are bananas and like making 12 sweet potatoes and trying to carry that with you, like not the best thing. And I was like, okay, like this is why products exist, <laughs> you know, like, so I actually just kind of got my hands dirty in the food processor and I started combining different things, playing around with nutrition labels online. And I managed to come up with a nutrition label that looked exactly like other sports nutrition products that I had used my whole life. And I did it 100% on fruits, whole foods, and the fiber content being the same. Um, That was the other thing with whole foods is they're just higher in fiber. And for longer events, obviously, you don't just want to be eating tons of fiber because that will end your race sooner or not be comfortable for you. So yeah, I just, I just played around my food processor and started combining different things. And I came up with what is now the plant bites formula. And I launched with no meat athlete. I partnered with them. They tested the product actually about a year ago right now. And they tested the product. They loved it. And they, they launched my product through No Meat Athlete in June of last year. And we totally sold out in the first 24 hours. Super wow. success. Everyone loved it. The launch was awesome. Um, and now we're just kind of... We're, we're growing and we're changing and we're coming up with new, new recipes. And I'm actually... By the time this podcast is out, I'm sure this will be public knowledge. But... Um, <laughs> We are actually launching with Complement um, as a athlete line for them, which is Complement mm-hmm. as a supplement, plant-based supplement, and they have a protein powder line, which they have great products. Yeah, I can't um, wait to try it. I'm, I'm really excited to check that out. Yeah, I use them every day, Complement Plus, and the Complement protein powder is like the cleanest protein I've ever had. But so we're launching with them on March 15th. And we've got a bunch of new new packaging. We've got the single serves and like a totally new formula. And so that's really exciting and it's coming up. So um, I'm sure you will see it. I'll, I'll send you the email so you can check it out. But yeah, it's been honestly the best journey ever, you know, working in a commercial kitchen with 10 people and making the plant bites. It's all like all the way to contracting our own co-manufacturer. It's just been so fun, very crazy. But I mean, it's great to just be passionate about something and being able to provide it for so many athletes. It's been It's been really cool to see it come to life. How did you learn how to do all that? Because I know like a lot of people listening, there's things that they want to try and they're like, well, I don't yeah. know how to do that. Or I don't know how I didn't go to school for that. Or like, where do I even start? Or where do I get the confidence? So how did you do that? Well, Sonia, this just starts from my 14 year old swimming self. It's like, 
stop putting limits on yourself and just do it. I mean, I, that was me when I was starting plant bites, I always wanted to start a business. That was me. I mean, my dad's an entrepreneur, my uncle's an entrepreneur. They both have successful businesses. Like I grew up in this world of success and I knew that I had that in me, but I, I always kind of was waiting. I was like, Oh, I need to go get this degree or I need to work this job. I'm, you know, I'm only 25. I need to, I need to wait. Um, or that, I guess at that point I was 24, but I was like, okay, I need, I need to wait another year, two years. I need to be 28. Like I put all these weird requirements on myself. I was like, okay, check, check this, check this. And then I'll start my business. But I mean, I honestly have to thank the people, the team at Nomad Athlete, because they gave me that push that I wouldn't have had if I did it on my own. You know, I mean, they were like, I want you to just do this. I think that this is an awesome product. This is a great product. So just put it out there. And I was like, okay, like, I guess I'm doing this. And I did. And like, I'm now the biggest proponent to be like, if you want to start something, if you want to do it, it's really, you have to just do it because chances are it could be something awesome. And if not, you learn something in the process. Working on continuing to just not put limits on myself because if it weren't for the teammate no meat athlete, I wouldn't have started plant bites and I still would have been working a job that I hated. So, you know, just, just keep doing what you want to do. That's all I got to say. That's amazing. And so awesome that you had and have a partnership and people that believe in you, because I think that it's sort of underestimated. Like people say, you got to believe in yourself and blah, blah, blah. Like, and you do have to believe in yourself. But whenever somebody else believes in you that you look up to or that you aspire to be like, it gives you wings. It really does. And it's just so awesome to have that kind of mentorship and support in your life and who you surround yourself with is so important. Yeah. And I think it's a balance, you know, it's like you being your own biggest fan is so important, but it's a, it's a skill that no one will ever master. Like I said, I mean, I'm still, I'm still trying to master and I never will. I'll, always, I'll always have some sort of critical thing to say that will inhibit me from taking that next leap and, and surrounding yourself with people who are, who you admire or inspirational or listening to people and, and getting that really positive feedback from those types of people. I do, I do think is totally a game changer and it, it pushes you in the right direction. So that's the other thing is just like surrounding yourself with those types of positive inspirational people rather than people that you're comparing yourself to or because chances are, if you're comparing yourself to them, they probably are exhibiting some of your own self biases and self confidence issues that you don't really want to resemble, but you you see a lot of yourself in them, so you you compare rather than aspire. Compare rather than aspire. Very well put. <laughs> so, like, do you have any mantras that you use when you catch yourself comparing? Because we're humans, we compare ourselves. It happens every single day, and it's how we compare versus aspire that, you know, helps us find inspiration or makes us feel less than. So what do you do? The way that I came up with the mantras that were perfect for me was thinking about my childhood self. So I was like, okay, my nine-year-old Izzy, like my eight-year-old Izzy, four-year-old Izzy, someone like Izzy before she could compare herself to people. Like what was she? Who was she? And, you know, my parents always compared me to the little girl in Little Miss Sunshine. I was like always really bold and opinionated and kind of like all over the place. And so I always say to myself, like, I am bold and I am energetic. And I basically wrote down a list of mantras from my childhood picture. Like I had a child picture that I looked at myself and I was like, who is that girl? 
And like, how has she come? Like, how is, how is she still me um, in my adult form? So that's how I did that. And then I think for a while when I was recovering from my eating disorder, it was just being enough and saying to myself, you are enough, you are enough, you are enough, because sometimes that's all you need. You know, sometimes you don't need to be, I am beautiful. I am bold. I am powerful. Like sometimes that's hard for people to really believe, but if you can believe that you're just enough, that's the first step. Yeah. Or you can believe that you're like smart or beautiful, but you could still be like, well, I'm beautiful, but I'm not beautiful enough. And I love that whole topic um, that yeah. you brought up of enoughness, because I think everybody struggles with that. I struggle with that. And it's something that I constantly yeah. have to work on because we're in a world that really champions you if you are the best at something. And if you're not the best, if you didn't win or you, you know, you're not people like look at how many followers you have or, or whatever. And that's a really hard way to look at yourself because it's so not who yeah. you are. Yeah, totally. And the other thing that I like to do is, is I like to say dream big, but dream specific. I think Sarah Blakely, I stole that from Sarah Blakely, who's the CEO of Spanx, who's fabulous. But she said that. And that really, I I was like, wow, that's so true. Because you can say, oh, like I want to be successful or like whatever. But that's really just pigeonholing yourself. And so I always say, you know, when I'm feeling really down on myself, when I'm feeling like I had a bad training session or I'm doing something wrong in my business, like, I'll literally write down, like, I am an athlete. I am a CEO. Like, I am these things. And I am going to, like, totally envision them. Like, Sarah Blakely, when she was inventing Sphinx, she was set in her car for two hours. Like, I am an inventor. I am an inventor. I am an inventor. So when you say those things, you believe I am an athlete. Like, I am this thing. And you will believe it. Just the same exact way that the limits that we put on ourselves, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not tall enough, whatever it is, like those also become your core beliefs. So if you just change that to a positive mantra, likely over time, they'll start to become your core beliefs. Yeah, I love that. Like the mantra of telling yourself that you are the thing that you're aspiring or that you actually are to, you know, deal with imposter syndrome. But also I think it's, it's looking at the daily actions, like we talked about earlier, habits and daily actions. Like I am somebody that that does these things. Like Sarah Blakely, she was inventing something. You, you are the CEO of this company. You are an athlete. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> and I think that's important to draw the line and just be like, you know, you can't just say your the things without actually having the credibility to back up your self talk. But if you have credible self talk and positive mantras, like there's so much that you can do. Yeah. And just getting into that daily habits of like, if it's two minutes a day of just looking at yourself in the mirror and smiling, like if that's all you can muster, it's just putting that positive feedback into your body and into your brain. Like there's so, so much more to it than I think people think it is. And it's not just like hippy dippy, crazy energy work. I, I really, really am a believer that it, it totally changes your life. I love it. Well, I think that's a really great place to wrap it up. Where can people find you? So I don't have a huge Instagram presence, but you can follow me, um, Izzy underscore underscore fish, F-I-S-H. And then plantbites.com. I manage all of the Instagram DMs on plantbites and also on the website. So you can find me there as well. And yeah, I'm super excited that we got to talk. And I'm also excited for you to be able to try compliment stuff and plant bites and yeah. just talk more. Cool. Yeah, on the No Meat Athlete podcast. It's going to be great. <laughs> 
I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and got a lot out of it. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're new here. And if you haven't left us a review, please do so because it helps other people find the show. Thanks so much to our Patreon and PayPal donations. It makes a huge difference. And you can find that at sonyalooney.com slash podcasts or patreon.com slash the Looney show. That is so awesome of you guys to do that. And it helps pay my audio editor, Roma. I hope you have an amazing weekend and I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.